There's going to be people watching the people jumping off the cliffs. There's going to be the people who are like standing at the edge of the cliff, um, never going to do it, but they're stand- at least standing up there. Then there's going to be the ones that like will ultimately do it, but takes them two hours to do it. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the ones that like get up there, analyze for five minutes and just do it. Okay. So we are recording today. I have on Chris Shang. He has a background in growth marketing. He's worked his way up in that field and he is currently the CEO of Renly. Um, so Chris, thank you for coming on. And, of course. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, and if you're, if you're all right with it, I'm just going to jump into the questions. Sure. Go for it. Okay, great. So my first question is how did you get started as an entrepreneur and what was going on in your life at the time you started your first company? I saw that you started Simple Tux. I'm not sure if that was your first one, but it was the first one that I saw. So what made you, I guess, decide to be an entrepreneur? Yeah. Um, ultimately like I, you know, I have a pretty weird work history. So I started off doing like sell side equity research or working in investment banking. Um, and then I ended up going into entertainment, working in like television film production. Um, and then, you know, I really kind of like went into that world trying to do, um, I really wanted to just make a movie like as a kid growing up. And so like, uh, I was able to do that and I ended up making a movie in five days, selling it to Lionsgate for profit. And then, um, from that, you know, like I kind of felt like I had done what I really wanted to do. Um, and had this opportunity with a few friends of mine from high school to start this company, which was doing online tuxedo rentals called simple tux. Um, and it was more so than anything, like my two best friends, like growing up that, you know, reached out to me as like, Hey, we know you, you know, kind of like I've been looking for something the kind of your next thing. Um, and they have been talking about this idea of doing, um, online custom suits. Um, one of my friends from the Bay area, like worked for Cisco and Seagate and these kind of like bigger tech companies, um, doing like web development. Um, but you know, wanted to take a break from, from that and didn't really like the corporate lifestyle. So he traveled for a good amount of time and then, you know, went through Southeast Asia and realized you can make garments for really inexpensive, um, really cheaply there and good quality. So, uh, he came back with the idea of trying to do that online, but he's not the greatest in terms of execution. So it took a long time for him to try to like build that up. By the time he was trying to build it up, it was like a year later, he had Indochino and a few other companies that were already in that space doing it very well. Um, and then the idea came up from my other friends saying like, well, what about tuxedo rentals? Like that's super dated like process, right? Yeah. Um, that was just a top of mind for him. And then for me, I just got married at the time. So like it was very top of mind for me. So just ha- having gone through that antiquated process of like going into a physical brick and mortar location um, and then, you know, realizing that it's just a shitty process that at the very end of the day, like is not giving you um, the best results period anyways. So I have a few horror stories of that and then realized, you know, yeah, we could probably update this if we can figure out a way to do it. Um, And then, yeah, took it from ideation to about a quarter million revenue in about less than a year's time Um, and spearheaded that and kind of became like the pseudo CEO for that. Um, We essentially like scaled by creating like an affiliate program by partnering with high schools. Um, So we're based in LA. And so we, at the height of what we're doing, like we're able to convince, you know, um, about a quarter of the high schools in California, I think it's like 300 high schools in California to partner with us. Um, yeah. in in less than like three months, well, three to six months time, um, with no track record. So like really kind of shows on a very like rough scale of things, like how we were able to accomplish a lot with very little. 
Um, and I got addicted to that process. So like, what else can you do, um, you know, leanly to be able to, you know, build and, and grow something. Yeah. Um, and so while, you know, we experienced some founder burnout from that process, I stuck around in startups. Um, the other guys, you know, I exited to one of the partners. He still runs the state, but like a very slow growth methodology. Um, and then I just, you know, got suckered into like the whole startup field, um, really trying to like understand growth, what that means, um, you know, and how can I be really good at it? So, yeah, that is a very impressive start to your career. So you said a couple of things there that I, I maybe to you were seemed like a, not a big deal, but to me, sure. they were pretty huge. So you said you sold, I don't know what it was exactly to Lionsgate. I saw that in your LinkedIn yeah. way back. What, what exactly happened there? <clears throat> it was, I mean, I think that's more than anything kind of shows you, showed me like my personality trait, which was like, um, trying to hack something, right? Like, yeah. I mean, hack can be mean a lot of things. It can be derogatory. It could be positive, right? It can mean like you're trying to find a shortcut. It can mean like you're trying to get people's information, whatever. Mm -hmm. To me, it just means like trying to, try to think outside the box to accomplish a goal within, you know, like, you know, moral and ethical ways, right? Because even within startups, like even within business there, you, those lines get very blurry. Um, <clears throat> but you know, like doing it in a more ethical way, but like using creative thinking to accomplish the end goal, whatever the goal want, is going to be. Yeah. And so that being said, like, um, I wanted to make a movie. And at that point, like I wasn't, I never went into like entertainment as like an artist, right? Like I just knew I wanted to create a movie and it wasn't about like telling a specific story. I just wanted to sell a movie. Like that was my goal. Yeah. Yeah. And so <clears throat> it was like kind of like going through a backwards way of engineering it. So like at the time it was just like looking at, okay, what genres are selling, which ones are doing it like cost effectively. And so you realize like the largest profit margins, right? And so that ended up being the horror genre and specifically like found footage. So you could do found footage for very cheaply and then you can, you know, you could probably, you could sell it. So I thought like, you know, naively or not like that, I could do that. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, ended up just like creating a, a very like loose base script that was like 60 pages long, but really like broke down like scene by scene by scene what I wanted to cover in order for me to tell the story and then just shot it all out, you know, and like yeah. shot it in five days, planned it all accordingly. Um, and then like was in post-production for about a month which is like editing and really like the sound uh, sound editing process. Yeah. Um, and then I think within a month after that, sold it to, like had three bidders, including the Weinstein company, dimension films, uh, dimension films, Weinstein company, um, paramount in surge, which is the ones that do the um, paranormal activity stuff. And then it was, and then Lionsgate Lionsgate was the only one that offered me like a minimum guarantee. So like yeah. they're willing to pay cash upfront for the movie, which is like almost unheard of. Yeah. Um, so I took that. And, you know, did a backend split of 50-50, <clears throat> you know. And so it's it's had some success in some shape or form, but, like, um, you know, straight to DVD, whatever. But, like, for me, it's something I shot for very little and was able to profit off of, so. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. That's, that's pretty insane at that age, too. So it sounds like a, a big part of what makes you tick is, like, you just like to hack systems or, like, find – find creative ways to solve problems that nobody. Yeah. Can. Yeah, for sure. I definitely like to think of like creative ways to solve problems. And I think like on a bigger scale of things, all the, all the companies that I've like consulted with or worked with, um, 
you know, they, they, they run the gamut of different types of products or services. Yeah. Uh, but I think like the idea of like growing or selling anything or marketing anything, like I kind of been trying to build out like my own ideology and philosophy about it. Yeah. Um, you know, which I think like I have pretty soundly and can share that with you. But like, yeah, I think it's, it's all pretty straightforward when you simplify things. Okay. Okay. Well, if you do have your own strategy, um, is that something that you could, uh, give like a concise version of, I mean, I'm sure it's yeah. extremely detailed and you can go on for hours, but yeah, I'd love to hear. <clears throat> I mean, I think the, the concise version is like, there's really three variables in, in growing or scaling anything. It could be idea, your a brand or product or service. And I think those three variables is content channel and audience. Yeah. Now, if you can figure out how to tweak each of those variables as they pair with each other um, to opt to, to be the most optimal, like that's ultimately you're going to find the thing that you're going to do at the most cost effective rate at the highest rate of conversion. Yeah. Um, and that's what you're trying to do. Right. So for anything, so something even as simple as like trying to lose weight, mm-hmm. it's the same deal, right? Like, um, I think losing weight, like there's two, two components to really trying to lose weight. And that's like your, um, it's like your, 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 your body mass index or your BMI or your fat percent, your body fat percentage. Um, and then also like your actual weight. Um, those are kind of like the two measurements of your success. So if you really wanted to lose weight because everybody's bodies is different, like the only way to really do it is like put yourself in a controlled environment and test these things. Right. So like you should, you need to test the diet. Um, so you measure like whatever your, your, your BMI is and like your weight and your body fat percentage yeah. right now, yeah. you go on a diet, like a specific type of diet, whether it's keto diet for a week, you see how your body responds within the week. You build your body back up to the previous settings of like your, you know, what you currently are. Yeah. You do another diet, you do that for a week. So you go through this process and you start realizing, all right, on this diet, I was able to lose X percentage of weight and X percentage of body fat yeah. within a week. Yeah. then the, whatever one, which one for one wins is the one that you stick with. Combine that with like your exercise, do the same thing with exercise and then you can find the best combination for your body type. Yeah. Um, you, you know, ultimately like I thought of like apps to de- develop off of that where you aggregate all that data and then you can, you know, project ultimately to somebody who enters in their information based on height, weight, body types and stuff like that. Um, profiles that you can ultimately find the best combination of things for you to successfully lose weight. But it's yeah. that, that kind of thinking, I think like that, shows you like how you can take something for like growing a product or service to like yeah. some like any kind of life experience. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I mean, the, the, there's like the master knobs where everything else falls under that you tweak mm-hmm. them and then you see where those three main variables, what direction they're going in. They dictate yeah. everything else. Yep. That makes, that makes a ton of sense. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I think it's also just rethinking like how, what each of those things means. Right. So it's super, I think it's super simple, like content, right? But I think content, people forget all the different types of content that you can do. They think like, all right, Facebook ads content. And so they're thinking like, you know, all right, videos, text, copy, stuff like that, which is like obviously the, you know, the holy grail of kind of like content marketing. But I think more than anything, like content can be experiential. It's anything that appeals to the five senses, right? It could be, you know, anything that appeals to taste, sense of smell, hear, sight, um, touch, you know, those kinds of things. And so, um, every product or service can be different. And so like, you know, if you're selling, if you're selling kind of like, um, you know, a food product, like you're going to want to appeal to those different types of senses that may not feel like traditional. Right. And so you might want to be your, your main kind of content might be experiential. Um, you know, like, like, uh, like alcohol products is a perfect example of that. Like, Mm -hmm. 
their hugest budget, like of how they allocate towards marketing uh, aside from kind of like commercial campaigns is obviously like partnering with bars and like be able to have like just, you know, they have like their, their foot patrol that goes out and like actually like does branded partnerships and like gives like to clubs and stuff like that, like free yeah. booze for yeah. them to like start trying the product. Right. So like yeah. that's a huge part of like them convincing and like bringing in new customers, but people forget to think about those things and outside of just that scope. So I think that's thinking of it like content channels, the same thing, right? Like channels, however you can possibly reach somebody. Mm -hmm. So we think phone, we think online, but I also, you know, focus a lot on offline things. Those things, things like SMS, ringless voicemail, um, even like direct mail campaigns. Like um, these are all things that people, you know, kind of lose sight of and like forget about. Yeah. But when you're trying to perfect like a cadence of like reach out, because you're not going to sell somebody off the first reach out, yeah. you know, like, you need to figure out what is going to be the best way. So maybe like targeting with a Facebook ad or like a Google ad or whatever. Uh, and then the next one might be like a ringless voicemail, right? Like yeah. hit them up, like show that you're real, yeah. um, but do it in an automated version where it's going to be cost effective for you without having to hire a sales force. Um, and you do that through a ringless voicemail. They get a voicemail and like it's a live person saying like, Hey, you know, we saw thought that you might be interested, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, you might re retarget them. Those people that get that you through another like digital ad or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, and then you could try to push them through some other like creative process of a funnel, right? Like maybe that point is, you know, if it's a higher, like, um, higher price point product, maybe you do have somebody then like reach out at that point and everything else has been automated, but like yeah. up to that point then you can have somebody and, and, um, actually reach out and like have a sales staff, like call out and like sell them and close them on the product. Yeah. So there's like, I think, um, trying to figure out like the best combination of stuff, yeah. uh, through channels. And then obviously audiences, right? So like audiences can get super granular. Um, you can be, be besides like just general like demographic uh, and profiling information. I mean, you can get down to like level of interest, you know, like through Facebook, I'm sure like yeah, you know, yeah. how detailed you things, um, you know, to like the type of TV shows that they're watching. Right. So that might make sense if you're trying to like target real housewives of orange County, like if you're trying to sell, you know, like a specific type of perfume, right. Like to, to a certain type of woman. Mm -hmm. So like that's, those are kinds of things that you might want to like think about too. So finding, I think like rethinking, like where and recalibrating what, how you define those things is number one. And then I think number two, then it's like trying to realize you're always constantly benchmarking and trying to like test and beat against that benchmark and yeah. just being creative and thinking outside of the box. So like what, what kind of um, tweaks that you can do within that? Yeah, no, that's, that's really creative. I mean, I've heard, you know, people say do, do things that don't scale million times but i've never heard anyone talk about sms or mail uh direct mail yeah that's interesting yeah I, yeah uh okay let's see so i had a ton of questions for you here but that was actually a good bit of information um one thing one thing i noticed just going over you know what i saw from you know what i, what I saw about your career was it seems to me like you leveraged each you know, opportunity you had to really boost yourself to the next spot. Yeah. I saw you just like rise up the ranks through in the growth in growth positions. I know now you're a CEO and a consultant. How, how do you think about trying to leverage your position? Was that conscious? Do you do that with all your jobs? Um, I mean, to be honest, I think like, I, I didn't do it with all my jobs. Like, I think like, you know, before I kind of got into like entrepreneurship, like I think I was pretty kind of like lost and confused. Okay. And like, I wasn't sure like exactly how to, I knew I wanted like with, especially with entertainment where it's like largely subjective. And I think like, you know, people who work in entertainment, like artists, like are actually great for being like entrepreneurs because like they, the same kind of DNA applies. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, the only difference is like ego, right? So like, <laughs> I think, you know, a lot of artists, that's the problem is like they're too heavy on their ego mm -hmm. and they're not willing to let their skill set shine through, which is like they, they deal with a lot of rejection. They think a lot of like create, they have to do a lot of creative thinking. They have to be empathetic, right? They have, and empathy is like a huge part of sales. Like you have to be able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, tug along like certain emotional, um, you know, heartstrings or like pull on different types of emotional um, strings in order for you to get somebody to engage the way that you want them to engage. Um, and, you know, I think like a lot of artists are able to do that, but again, like they're usually selling themselves. And so like the one thing that they have to realize if they're like trying to branch off into entrepreneurship is like, maybe they're not selling the right product, which mm -hmm. is themselves. And that's really hard to get over. Um, you know, so I think if you can get out, what, do you, what do you mean about that? Sorry to interrupt. Wait, you, you said if you think with artists, sometimes they're not selling the right product. You mean like the way they're presenting themselves? No, like themselves, because it's so, what they're doing is so subjective, right? Yeah. yeah. So like you may be able to appeal to an audience, but what size is that audience and how scalable is that audience? Yeah. Truly, truly yeah. at the end of it all. Right. Like, yeah. um, and you know, that's the differentiator between like somebody who's going to like, have commercial success in that world versus somebody who, you know, is an independent, you know, um, artist versus mm -hmm. somebody who's not going to make it that has some kind of talent, you know, but like is not honed into like really um, all the other, all the other components to actually like to making it right. So, yes, yeah. um, and I think a lot of times they get a lot, there are very talented people out there, but there is things that differentiate those different tiers of people who have talent. Right. And so, uh, at the end of the day, like you, you have a bunch of artists, like actors, musicians and stuff that are out there. Very few of them make it for a reason. Um, and I think like not enough of them are willing to say like, okay, I have this skill set. How can I re how can I retool this? Like, or how can I utilize this for purposes to outside of just like what my art is, or, you know, like, I think like also a lot of the times you can read, you can figure out by, by understanding your skill set better and like lowering that ego, like maybe you have actually like a, you, you have a better skill set in another like art form. Like that's equally as valid. Like you, you just never really thought of. Right? So, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, I think like, but everybody is, everybody's different. Hmm. That's interesting. So you're just saying when you're in art, you notice that that, like that, that empathetic creative skill set that those artists had, maybe. I think the main thing. Yeah. I think the main things is like they're, they're natural salespeople. Right. Because of that, um, they know how to take rejection well because they've gone through a lot of that. Um, and then, you know, they've been broke most of the time, probably. Right. So like, so, you know, that's something that really like you have to go through in entrepreneurship. Right. Like, yeah. um, so if you have that and that, that being broke and stuff like gives you thick skin, um, I think those are really kind of like three core qualities of like trying to make a successful entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's, I know a lot of people too who have transitioned from uh, from the entertainment industry yeah. for whatever reason, and they're all most of them have been pretty successful. Yeah, um, interesting. So you said that you said you were you know before you became an entrepreneur, you're kind of you felt like you're a little bit lost and confused. Yeah. Uh, what was that like? What what point was that? What was going on? What was that like? What do you mean? Yeah, I mean I think like just working in entertainment in general like can be very daunting. Like I had. So a few like potential things that were going to like break through, like have successes here and there, like, um, and then ended up not going through, um, you know, I think like going through those kinds of like rejections, like you can only tolerate so much. And then it starts like really like 
creating like self-doubt and like you know um it's hard it's hard to kind of like deal with it especially when you have like some some stuff that's like you know you thought we're gonna be home runs and then like don't don't pan out so um when that happens then you know i think that's like part of the process and that can create like you know you being lost and, and stuff and so that's that's what i mean um and until like i kind of like again did that last that last ditch effort and like was able to find some success in there. But even then, like, it's still something that is like, I think short lived and you got to move to, you got to then quickly jump on that and like leverage that to the next thing. Right. So. Yeah. You got to keep, got to keep moving. Yeah. And so like, what, what would you suggest? How did you get through that? What would you suggest for people that maybe feel like they're lost and confused right now trying to make something entrepreneurial work? Um, I mean, I would just say like, you know, I would try to, I mean, I wouldn't change my journey though. Like, you know, I think like, because it gave me the, I think it gave me kind of like the understanding of like what it's going to take to try to like, it gave me like, especially with simple talks and like, like, I think like with the other companies I started doing growth with, like the ability to know what hustle means and like actually work my ass off and like be appreciative of opportunities. Yeah. Um, Especially opportunities where you actually, it's like, it's not about how much effort you put in. I think that's the biggest, you know, difference with like working in entertainment was like the idea of things being so subjective is true. Like, you know, to me, like with growth, it's still a creative, like it's still stemming from storytelling. Right. Mm -hmm. But you have a lot more objectivity tied to it. So like, you're just taking that story and trying to figure out like, well, how can I actually scale this? And you can actually like have data and analytics to back up how effectively you're doing that. Right. Versus like, you might want to tell your story in an artistic format, like making a movie or television show or whatever, but it's so subjective. Like you have so many different lines that you have to cross in order for you to ultimately like get that sold and see any kind of commercial viability from it, yeah. you know, making many, any, making any kind of like living off of that. So I think that's the difference, um, you know, at the end of the day between those two worlds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I had a couple more, uh, a couple more specific questions. One more general one. You still have time, or you, you got to jump? Yeah, on? yeah, I'm okay. Okay, cool. Uh, so yeah, you mentioned growth. Uh, so I saw that you were the head of growth at a. It looks like Cambu, which had I saw 3.4 million in funding. So not mm-hmm. a bad sized company. How did you land that role? What was that like? Um. Yeah. So I think like the first thing to understand is like I think that there's nothing to there hasn't been any like real way for, I never like learned anything through a textbook or like through college, like the stuff that I'm doing now. Yeah. Um, it's all kind of been through like just going through the exercise. And I think like I had a really good like opportunity to work with another, with a company, with a set of founders that um, like after simple talks that were really great for helping me understand what that means. Mm-hmm. And that was Lumi, which was like doing like e-commerce packaging. Yeah. Um, they had just come out of Y Combinator and like they uh, were doing like a pivot of their core business originally. And their original core business was doing like five to $7 million a year, which was like doing screen printing through um, sunlight, like through this proprietary ink. And they were selling in Michaels, Joanna Fabrics, but they kind of like have capped out what they could do with that product. And so that's when they went to um, YC and then they came out with this idea of doing like, you know, reinventing kind of like how uh, packaging is done in general. Right. So like, you can now print out the boxes and you can order it online versus faxing an order into a guy in Jersey named Mike. Um, yeah. You know, you can do it all digitally and you can like, you know, drag and drop your logos and stuff like that to, on your packaging. Mm-hmm. So they redefined that and they 
came out with like, again, no, no formal sales process. They had no real clients, you know, or customers. And it was just kind of like, Hey Chris, we knew, we see what you did with simple tux. Like can you help us figure this out? And just running with that of like helping them figure it out. You know, like I kind of took the same idea of like what I did with simple tux, which is like, all right, who are the types of people like, like what's your audience going to look like? Who are the types of people that would kind of like get into this product? And the idea of like startups, like e-commerce startups, um, first and foremost, because like they're, they're going to be kind of like your early, like um, biggest supporters and advocates because they're the ones that understand what it's like to be in a startup, you know, be a startup. And then secondarily, they have a, they have a direct need for that product. So what I did was like, you know, created a, created a list of like, uh, you know, through Crunchbase and generate a list of like different CEOs and founders that were in e-commerce um, and yeah. just start reaching out to them, you know, like, um, and getting feedback, like literally like not even automating that process, but starting off because they had no customers yeah. or clients to go off of. Like it was really just about like discovery um, and trying to figure out like, how do they want to be talked to? How, do, what are the biggest pain points? Like, how are we actually providing a true value or service? And then taking that idea and like, once you start getting like recurring themes of whatever that value or service is, um, then you just keep, you keep hitting on that faster, 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 earlier in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you start shortening the sales, that sales window, the sales cycle process. And so mm-hmm. that's how that happened was like, you know, we was starting off doing that was like just figuring that part out. And I think a lot of like their sales infrastructure to date is still kind of centered around that, which is like, kind of like list creation going out, like kind of like old, it's kind of like still like uh, in the back end of things, like old ways of like how um, packaging is still done, which is like you have your account rep and like you talk to your account rep um, and they're dealing usually with like the COO or somebody in operations at the, at the company. Um, and it's a pricing exercise for the most part. And, you know, if, but if you can do it in a shinier, shinier way and be price competitive, yeah. then, then you're doing something different, you know? And so I think that's, what they were offering and that's what we realized very quickly on. And so a lot of the UI UX and then ultimately a lot of the new like products or services that they're offering in addition to um, was based on this kind of feedback. Um, and so that's what we were going off of. Um, so a lot think, of- yeah. So I'm saying, sorry. So I'm saying like, I think that kind of like set me up for like understanding a lot more of, you know, this is what growth can look like, which is like this traditional sales version. Mm-hmm. And then with came somebody like came which was like, um, after I, so the story is this, like after Lumi, like I was there for only like a short amount of time, like four or five months. Okay. The reason being is like, um, I was a- actually able to leverage that because like a lot of the emails I was sending out, like I, I ended up creating like a templated version of an email yeah. um, that I started to be able to scale to like lists of a thousand at a time as, as quickly as we could acquire them. Mm-hmm. Um, and had, you know, CEOs reaching out be like, you know, I don't normally respond to like this kind of stuff, but this is so well written. Like, you know, yeah. I, I think like, can you put into that email? Yeah. There's some yeah. time put into it. Like it's well thought out. Like, you know, you it looks like you really understand what we're trying to do. So like I, you know, then got offered to do some consulting work outside of Lumi mm-hmm. um, to help these companies kind of like just run really like email marketing campaigns. Yeah. So that's why I started off doing for on a consulting basis. And then I transitioned out of like Lumi to do that more along the lines of consulting. Um, and then that's when I worked with other companies like Impact Health, which is now Joni and um, and Kambu. And Kambu, I was working as a consultant, but they were based in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just go back and forth with them. But I was essentially kind of like their head of growth, working with the CEO very closely, yeah. uh, 
helping them kind of create like a acquisition funnel, um, like a digital acquisition funnel for, uh, for preschools. So selling into like pre-K yeah. um, with their, with their app. And so yeah. it's hard because schools also have like a steep learning curve and there's also already like naturally a trust barrier that you have to break into. But yeah. if you can, again, through the different types of content that you put them through, you can start like breaking those walls down and um, shortening that window. So what we realized, you know, early on was we need to get them into a demo as soon as possible. So how do we get them into a demo? And a lot of the times how we got them into a demo was by offering them like a, um, like a video tutorial, kind of like a, uh, kind of like a white paper, but a video version of it. So it would be like, how do you, how do you leverage like um, digital documentation in the classroom? Yeah. Um, and it would just be more of like a how-to guide. And then at the end, we would say like, these are the tools that you could use and Cambu is one of them, so. And it would be what, like somebody teaching like a class of like Cambu employees, like in a mock-up of a class. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, something along those lines. You know? <laughs> so we run through a demo like that and you know, it was really easy to get people into those yeah. than it was to get them into mm-hmm. like a, a sign-up you know, format. So like, yeah. um, we can get, we, we, we're able to get like, I think like seven, seven to 10% conversion on those like kinds of things, sign in, sign ups for those when you're traditionally seeing like seven to 10% just on the open rate. And then like, yeah. you know, like 2% click throughs. And then like out of that, like a fraction, like they'll sign up. So yeah, steep drop that, off after that. Yeah. So that's what worked for, for them. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, but every company is different. That's, that's interesting. I, this theme of like doing some old school outreach. So it seems like when you're starting somewhere that has no sales process, like you're like at Lumi, it sounds like you literally could build the rest of the funnel based on how much cold, cold outreach you've done on email, like knowing all yeah. the endpoints and all the benefits just by the conversation with people. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a starting point. Um, yeah. I think now like the consulting that I do, all of them already have kind of like a built in audience for the most part, yeah. but they have existing customers. So then the first thing I do with them is like, pull, pull their customers and like run surveys, um, to understand like what their profile looks like, what their demographic looks like, what channels are they utilizing, you know, and what kind of materials are going to be useful for them. Um, so that I even do something like as simple as like, if you're to search for a specific product or service in this category in that specific vertical, like what would you search? What would you Google? And then just like make a Google almost like a search form with Google there. Um, but that's, that's what I copy and paste that into ad into as using as keywords and so simple, Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, yeah. you know, like then I don't have to like go and try to guess the keywords. Like they're telling me what the keywords are that searching for, yeah. for that project or service that's and awesome. that's plug in. So like yeah. the stuff like that is like what I've kind of figured out, um, along the way. That's some, that's some awesome <clears throat> stuff. That's scrappy. Um, I love it. So I just have two more questions then. The, yeah. I want to, I want to give some people that maybe are just beginning. Like I know a lot of this is awesome for founders. I have especially people with no customers. This is awesome advice, but, uh, for people that are starting out and they're looking at these career fields, you know, growth is a huge one that's expanding just because of all the technologies, you know, yeah. encompasses, are there any that you'd suggest for people if they're, if they're trying to transition into something that they can do, you know, as an entrepreneur, freelancer, solopreneur are there any skills or, or things you suggest that are in demand now for people to, to go learn um i mean i think yeah so i would think like i would say like for i don't i don't that's a good question i mean i think if i was to learn anything it would be like coding like i would like to learn i would i would take a coding class because i yeah. think it's important to understand yeah um from you know from a founder perspective especially if you're building something that's you know techno- technologically related so yeah. 
Um, that's, I think, important. But I think separate from that is um, just try to find an idea that you're passionate about and try to try to sell it to a handful of people. Yeah. You know, and, and selling it like in a true MVP, which means like um, you don't actually have to have the product or service available yet. You know, yeah. like try to figure out like if they would actually get to the point of like them about to do like a handshake deal with you. Yeah. And then just be like, Oh, you know what? Actually it's a limited product or service or whatever. Like it's not available yet, but it's coming in a few weeks, whatever it's going to be, but walk the walk to like, what's going to take for them to do like a handshake deal with you. That'll get you so much insight in terms of like, whether, you know, like what, if you're asking the right questions, if you're onto something at all, um, you know, it's just going to give you so much information. And I think you can take that information and then you can put those, that information to buckets yeah. And then when you put those information into buckets, then you can start like, you know, be able to understand which ones, which bucket is going to start like converting better. Like, and then, you know, taking that bucket that converts the best and getting even like more granular with the type of buckets within there that you create. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's how I would suggest it is like start thinking of it in that context of like, um, take a lot of subjectivity out, take your ego out of things and like be able to just try try different things. Like if you're passionate about, I was talking to somebody today who's like a graffiti artist yeah. and like there's going to be people who are willing to pay you for, for graffiti art. You just need to find who they are. Yeah. And then you need to figure out like how you tell your story. Right. So like probably some kind of video sharing your story, like, and you actually doing that, yeah. like, you know, you, that already puts you one step ahead of everybody else, but then, you know, get a, get a list, create a list somehow of a hundred ideas, hundred ideas of people that you think, would be in a position to pay you for your art. Yeah. Um, and then contact each of those hundred people yeah. or start even smaller than that. Start with 10. Right. And like make sure that each of those 10 people are very different, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they're in their own kind of like bucket and then get measure responses. And out of that 10, maybe one or two would be like, you know what? I would actually put money into doing that. Yeah. And so great. You understand like that's what the conversion per- percentage looks like. And you want, might want to focus on that, those like one to two people. And, um, out of those one to two people start generating like a list of a hundred in that one group. And then of the hundred in the other second group, or again, dumb it down to 10. I think hundred is good, like kind of sample size for you to get some real data, Mm -hmm. but even if it's just 10, right. Then all you just take that 10 within each of those groups and then you start seeing like, okay, what percentage of people in this groups now that I know that these are the groups that would express some kind of interest, Mm -hmm. like what percentage of them will actually like, again, like convert. And then maybe group one, it'll be like two out of 10. And then group two, it's like four out of 10. Well, which one should I focus on now? It's group two. Yeah, you'll get 100 from group two. Start over again. But it gets you to the point where ultimately you're going to start seeing like, all right, these are the people that I need to reach constantly. Yeah. Um, And if you do, then you can, again, like try to figure out market size. Like that's probably the next important step. But like you're either going to have a hobby business or you're going to have like a billion dollar business it depends but you can figure that out um, yeah. you can sell anything because there's a, there's audience for everything it's just how big is that size yeah um, that's a great that's a great quote you can sell that's true oh this is the last question uh because your time is valuable and i have taken no of course much. so okay. uh you say here that uh i had this quote from you every difficulty you face in life pales in comparison to the struggle of someone fighting for their life yeah. So what does that mean to you and how can, how can, how does that help you through life? How can people keep that perspective? Uh, yeah, I think like, so that, that comes from, um, 
really like having seen my dad battle like a 10 year battle with cancer, like stage four colon rectal cancer. Mm -hmm. And so that's where it comes from. It's like, if you see somebody who's like literally fighting for their life, like every day, um, then every complaint that you possibly can have pales in comparison, right? Like that's the ultimate. I mean, what do you have to complain about? You know, like, Oh, I'm not making enough money or like my girlfriend doesn't like me today. Or like I got to fight with my friend because like, you know, of, of this XYZ or like, you know, there's too much salt on my pasta or something. I don't know, like whatever it's going to be, <laughs> yeah. that's going to be putting you in a funk. Like mm. it really pales in comparison when you're seeing somebody who's like, especially in like the latter parts of somebody's life. I think you really start seeing those things. And, um, and for somebody who was, you know, stage four again, like stage five being death, like fight for 10 years mm. and get an initial diagnosis of like possibly like six months to a year to live to extend that to 10 years, like you have to fight. And so when you see that, um, it puts that everything in perspective, I think. So there's very, I guess like that being said, there's very little that I'm afraid of. Um, I think like I'm a lot more risk averse than most people are because of that. Um, and that puts you in a position to like, you know, be more creative and like think a little bit more freely and try things that maybe like other people would be too scared to try. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I still think I have to constantly remind myself of that. And it is like human nature to go back and, and do the safer things, you know? Um, but yeah, risk and taking risks is what's gotten any kind of success I've gotten to today has been because of that. And, um, so I wouldn't change that. And I think constantly push yourself, do more, do more, <laughs> yeah, do more, like jump off more cliffs, like, you know, take more risks and, um, you, you know, you'll, you'll maybe scuff up a couple of times and you might fall down, you know, a lot of times, but the one time that you get up and you stay up, like you'll have found that thing. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, a quote from you about that too. Jump, jumping off cliffs and just, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's good advice. Um, yeah. I mean, I think jumping off cliffs is like very like great metaphor for how the, the, like the percentage, like the breakdown of the population, right. Like, especially as somebody who likes to go and just like jump immediately off of one, like you'll see, you'll see the people like that are like looking at it. Those are the spectators, right? Mm -hmm. And there's the doers, the actual performers, right? Mm -hmm. So there's people who spectate and they like are the ones that are consuming and there's the doers they're actually creating. And, you know, I think that's the analogy that kind of pair the two together. So there's going to be people watching the people jumping off the cliffs. There's going to be the people who are like standing at the edge of the cliff, um, never going to do it, but they're stand at least standing up there. Then there's going to be the ones that like will ultimately do it, but takes them two hours to do it. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the ones that like get up there, analyze it for five minutes and just do it. Everybody's yeah, is, is there a way to become that person though? Or is it like this preordained? Yeah, I think it's like, I mean, I think like risk and, and that kind of stuff is like, it's like a muscle, right? So, it's pushing yourself to do something like daring each and every day that's outside your comfort zone. And pretty soon, like your tolerance for the uncomfortable will be much more further than somebody else's tolerance for the uncomfortable. And then once you're able to get there, then you can take more risks. I mean, I, I equate that like my, you know, when I was like early, my early twenties, I was deathly afraid of heights. And so how did I overcome that was like, I was so insecure about my, my fear of heights. I was like, I'm not going to let this conquer me. So I went to go, go skydiving, Yeah, you know, like, and that's how I conquered my fear of heights. And since then, like, no fear of heights. 
you know, yeah, but serious. that's a good way. That, yeah. That's an extreme version, but I think like, that's a good kind of like parallel, like for other people is like, do it on a baby step of that, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, but whatever you're scared of, like, you know, I think that we're insecure about just like, let it consume you to the point of just like saying, fuck it and just do, do something to overcome it. And once you do like that first thing, like, and you realize you're going to be okay in the end, yeah. like that taste of like knowing that everything's still okay and you're still alive, everything's fine. Like, don't have to like risk your life in most every all these circumstances but like but like yeah realizing that everything's okay um that taste of everything's okay like that allows you to push yourself further and i think that's where i got addicted with entrepreneurship too is like the ability to close somebody on like what was originally just an idea in the back of our minds yeah you know there's no thrill of like closing a school like that and like getting you know like a hundred sales from like a school like when we're doing like online tux rentals like from something that didn't exist for them before they had no idea or understanding of this ever existing. Yeah. And then we sold them on the idea and then somebody actually paid you like a hundred students paid you <laughs> for that idea. You know, they're getting a service out at the end of the day, but like the idea know, that you can get converse yeah. along with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. With that, you know, and yeah. I think that's super powerful. Um, but a lot of people are too scared to even like talk about the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Let alone make it a reality and then get someone yeah. to pay you for it. But. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and cut it there. We can chat after. Um, Chris, okay. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for you know giving us all that knowledge, uh, hard-won knowledge. I appreciate it. No, oh, of course. No problem.